0: Hello, and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today.
1: So today on JOSPT Insights, we have a special bonus episode for you. In the third episode in our series, Dr. Allison Grimaldi did a phenomenal job breaking down how to diagnose and treat lateral hip pain but what happens when things aren't going as planned? Today, we have a short segment on how Dr. Grimaldi reevaluates and revises her plan of care when patients aren't making the progress she expects. My name is Dan Chapman. I'm a physical therapist in Baltimore, Maryland.
2: I'm Chelsea Kuman, a physical therapist and athletic trainer at True Sports Physical Therapy in Baltimore, Maryland as well.
1: Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. So Dr. Grimaldi, Let's say your patient is not progressing as you anticipated. What do you do to reevaluate your plan of care and make sure that you get them back on track?
3: first thing, well, you need to revisit uh, your diagnosis. So one, do you have your diagnosis correct? Um, so it might be an incorrect diagnosis or an incomplete diagnosis. Often we see concurrent presentations of lumbar spine um, and tendon or hip joint conditions and the tendon um, or all of those things, all of those three together. So you might just have to add another component in to address those other things. So you might need to widen your, your treatment to make sure you're managing any coexisting uh, conditions, then we need to revisit the program that we've given the patient. So are they adequately controlling provocative loads? You do really have to make sure you talk through what sort of things that they're doing in everyday life, what, what they're doing in their recreation, because often there's things specific to that individual that they're doing that is keeping the condition irritated and so it's really important not just to give a generic handout but talk about what they do so if they're going to the gym what exercise bike are you sitting on you know are you using an elliptical are you using a treadmill and how are you performing those things You know, they might be doing cardio that might seem okay. Oh, yeah, an exercise bike, that's fine. But a recumbent bike is often more provocative for hip conditions because your hips are in more flexion. And if they're doing that with their their knees close to each other, so they've got this adducted position, they might be just really flaring themselves up, even though they're doing good things in everyday life. You know, elliptical is often better tolerated than a treadmill. But if they're doing an elliptical and they're doing that sort of technique where they're swaying their hips side to side, that's not going to be great. And so we need to sort of train them to, okay, your pelvis stays where it is and it's like a standing cycle. So you're going to move your feet underneath. So we want to keep people active, but we need to make sure that we're sort of controlling uh, what they're doing in their everyday life. So with one little five minute education session, that might not be enough to change the way they walk, to change the way they go upstairs. So it's important that we revisit that. They might have been absolutely religious with their exercise program because they've interpreted that that's the most important thing. But you might have to, you know, take a step back and say, right, well, how good have you been with, you know, changing the way you stand? Are are you trying to sort of stand on two legs rather than hanging most of the time? Have you changed the way you're walking? And, you know, they might say, oh, yeah, I've probably just slipped back into those old habits again. And so you might need to revisit that. Exercise dose is another thing that I think we need to troubleshoot through so one patient compliance um, is obviously going to influence exercise dose. So if they're only doing their exercise once every week, you know, that's unlikely to get them there. And and it's important that they understand that we're asking this not because we want to say you're a bad patient. Um, you know, it's about we need to know if we've given this a good run, you know, have, have we actually reached the end of this? Have, have you not responded to a really good program or is it just that you haven't had time and, and things happen and we understand that, but we don't want to hedge you on to the next level of intervention unnecessarily. So let's just give it a really good go and see if we can sort of increase that, the amount of volume of exercise you're doing. So exercise dose also comes back to how hard we load the muscle and the tendon as well. So that provision of external stimulus, I think with a lot of physio programs traditionally we've been called out for not loading people enough we do need to get to that higher level loading to be able to condition the tendon or make the system more tolerant of load. So I think that is really important that we have added external resistance or made sure that we have grasped them to that higher-level RPE exercise where they're sort of working at that 7 out of 10. So if people only are working at that 3 to 5 out of 10, you know, they might not be getting to that level. So, you know, we don't want a time-based criteria where we're just going to do this for the next 6 weeks or 8 weeks, you know, before we progress to something else. You know, and particularly with things like isometrics, I would never give someone isometrics and just say, we're just going to do that for a while. You know, we're not going to do that. So boring. Right. We we need to have the (laughs) isotonics right from the beginning as well. And we're going to progress on that criteria progression. So the RP is one of those criteria. So that's our exercise dose. Then other things that might influence your progress are other comorbid factors. So we've already talked about coexisting back pain and and joint pain, but things like, you know, diabetes, systemic inflammatory conditions, uh, obesity, psychological factors, all these things can influence your outcome. So psychological factors around, you know, anxiety and depression, of course, but fear, self-efficacy, expectations all have a big impact um, on your outcomes as well so having some conversations around those things you know might be important so and then other interventions so what have they tried previously multiple particularly multiple cortisone injections I think does change our ability to have that same effect now we don't have enough research there's no research on that with gluteal tendinopathy at the moment there's evidence Mm -hmm. for tennis elbow that we know that um, having a cortisone injection even if you then do a good exercise program will delay your outcome and reduce your outcomes so i've for my referrers i tell them (laughs) Please don't give patients a cortisone injection before you send them to me because the docs think they're doing you a favor. And then it's like, right, well, um, we'll reduce the pain so then you can do your exercise program. For me, I'd prefer not to have that cortisone injection. I find people progress more quickly, you know, in that you know short to medium time, term actually like th- they'll get a short term effect in that first few weeks though they'll, they'll certainly feel better with the cortisone but but the effect of the cortisone on the tendon might impact on our outcomes just in the way it works because it actually down-regulates our tenocytes. So if, if we're trying to have an effect by stimulating tenocytes, then it might sort of have an effect on our ability even to create that sort of mechanical load effect on our tendons. I'm not sure. We don't have any evidence for that with the gluteal tendinopathy, but from what I've noticed clinically is if they haven't had cortisone, I get there much faster. The more cortisone injections they have, the slower they are, and my expectations for the the level of their recovery start to sort of come down a little bit. So I would actually prefer to put someone on a single stick or a crutch for a short period of time to reduce the load, to quickly reduce the load on the ten and reduce their pain, rather than send them for a cortisone injection. And we rarely have to do that, but a, a couple of people I have put on a crutch, uh, a single crutch for a, a week, maybe two weeks, and that significantly reduces their pain during ambulation. So they can still be functional, but it reduces their pain while we get all the other things working. So the load management and the exercise therapy. And then, um, you know, usually within that couple of weeks, their pains calm down enough that they can throw the aid and then we can just progress on with the program. So they're the main troubleshooting things to try to sort of optimise that program. So, But going through it with the patient is useful because they can then see that, you know, you're taking a very considered approach to this program.
2: Okay. So you have given us so many great things to consider when our patients just aren't progressing the way we're expecting. So if I could just really quick recap, it seems like almost like a nice discussion is the best way to accomplish a lot of these. So you can address more specific details about their activities. You could even watch them. You can get a video of how they're doing them. Um, Um, addressing their compliance, addressing their dosage. Are they getting that seven out of 10? Are they, or are they sore for three days? Is it too little? Is it too much? Comorbidities, fear, anxiety, addressing those things. And then maybe some additional education regarding timeline if they've had a cortisone injection that may delay the recovery. And then of course, just making sure that the diagnosis is correct. And you can listen back to the first episode for more details on this. Dr. Grimaldi, thank you so much for taking the time to share your incredible knowledge and your incredible passion for treating lateral hip pain no
3: problem. It's been uh, yeah, really great.
1: And for more information, please make sure you check out Dr. And if you're looking to connect with other professionals passionate about high quality care for hip pain, go to hippainhelp.com where you can network with other like-minded professionals and be a part of a provider database for patients who need specialized help in managing hip pain. As noted in our third episode, there is particular need for more providers in the United States. So make sure you check it out. Thank you as always for listening to JOSPT.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google or your favourite podcast app.